Well, like I said before, we have been on quite a journey since we were together last week. Um, Debbie and I joined six other folks from our church in Toronto for the um, C3 Canada Conference, and it was amazing. It was great. We enjoyed ourselves. Uh, in fact, some of our folks are still there. Um, as you know, we're going to be opening um, uh, a campus in Strathmore, and so uh, a lot of the team that's going to be there, uh, we just said, listen, we want you to stay over uh, the weekend and go to C3 Toronto East Campus to see how they set up, because in Strathmore, we don't have a building like this that just stays set up all the time, and so they're going to have to learn all the stuff. So Eric had them up early and had them there, and they just stood by and watched what was going on. Lots of the folks that have been through here to minister said, hey, please say hi to everybody in C3 North Calgary, and uh, they were all excited about Strathmore as well. Um, about a group of you, 13 or so, went to uh, see Pastor Phil last Sunday night, and you thought that was fairly, uh, fairly exciting. Um, we have just confirmed quite a few things that are going to happen. Um, in January, at the end of January, Christine from Saskatoon is coming for the whole weekend. What's Christine's last name? Zamet? I think it's Zamet. Um, she, she's fabulous. She's from Mad Malta. I was going to put her in Madagascar, but Malta's even better, okay? And so she's going to be here. Uh, we've got Graham coming. We've got uh, a couple of others coming, and it's going to be fun. Oh, Pastor Lawrence coming, too, uh, in January. And so we're pretty excited about all of those things. Um, Catherine's coming home today. We're pretty excited. And uh, she's, been, she's been doing some pretty interesting things. And uh, we're, our, our job is to pull her off the plane and keep her standing until it's time for her to go to bed so she can get over the jet lag. And so that's, uh, that's going to be fairly... Uh, so if you see us do crazy things this afternoon, that's what we're doing is keeping her awake. One of the... Oh, I, I just want to say this. Last Sunday we had uh, two people who got saved in the service... And then somebody said to you, to me, what was the most exciting thing that happened in Toronto? And there were lots of exciting things. There was a, a, a very moving Love Toronto thing that happened. And, uh, but I have to tell you what the most exciting thing was. Uh, Friday morning, it was the break, and we were standing outside, and I was eating a muffin. And uh, uh, Shan came up to me, and he's, he's sort of on the verge, and, and, and I said, what's going on? And he says, listen to this. And it was Bowie on the telephone saying, uh, Cullen, sorry, I, I said to his sister, I only know them by their nicknames, I can't remember <laughs> their real names, but Cullen saying, Dad, I invited Jesus into my heart. So that was fabulous, and we were standing in the foyer of this beautiful building crying our eyes out. It was great. And so uh, that was very, very exciting. Um, there's probably more. Oh, yes. Uh, we have Several of you didn't get a chance to fill in the sheets last week, the volunteer sheets. And so if you've lost yours or, don't know, or didn't get one, you can come and get them here. So uh, take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 10. I want to give you just a bit of a history here. The first time that this church ever came together as a church family was on September the 8th. 1973. They met in the Bob Edwards Junior High School just over uh, down the road here a little bit. 
And several months later, they moved into uh, part of this building where those doors are. They were red, plexiglass, ugly windows. And on the other none of this existed. And on the other side where, where the foyer is, where you stood and had uh, donuts and coffee, that was the sanctuary. And uh, that first Sunday, there were 16 people that were in attendance. And that was 45 years ago. I was at that first Sunday. I was part of that congregation. I was one of those 16 people who showed up. And uh, none of that, from that moment, that moment 45 years ago to this Sunday, 45 years later, none of that happened by accident. It happened because there were people who had purpose and people who were on a mission. Since that time, hundreds of people have come through the doors of, these house, of this house. Lives have been changed. Things have been accomplished. Missions teams have been sent out from this place. Families have been built here because there was a mission, because there was a people who invested themselves into the mission and the purpose of this house. And we have decided that this year is a year to grow, a year to expand and to renew our commitment to the purpose and to the mission that we've been given. We have several initiatives that we've laid out. We're going to launch the campus of, in Strathmore. We're going to love our city from, from this building as well. And we're going to see people who come to know Jesus and who, who are growing. We're going to grow people in this church to be people of influence, people who make a difference in their world. And none of that happens just by accident. It doesn't just fall together. It, it's all because of a plan. It's all because of a commitment. It's all because of an investment on the part of this house to make a difference in the lives of people. As, as a result, we came to you a couple of Sundays ago and we said, listen, we want you to invest your life here. Uh, we, we came and we, we asked that you would invest in the mission of our house. We, we have asked that every person find at least one place to serve in this house. We, we, we have volunteer sh survey sheets, as I've already said, that are, were passed out on Sunday and again this Sunday. And, and things that happen in this house just don't happen by accident. People get together, they have a plan, they execute the plan, and as a result, things happen. The, the, listen, I, I want the sound man to make my voice as lovely as he made his wife's voice this morning when she sang. That, that was amazing. Can I have a sort of a little bit of... No, don't, you don't have to do that. But it sounded fabulous. And, and that came about because he was trained and he volunteered and he shows up for practice and he shows up. It, it's amazing. It's because of a plan. And, and, and so we want... We want you to find a place to serve. Last week, during, during the, week, the course of the week, at least three people asked Jesus into their lives because of the mission of this church that we were here and that we're here to serve. And we ask that every person here, every part of our church, would find their person. Have you found your person yet? Someone that you can serve, someone you can encourage, someone you can help and build in their life. Someone whose life can be enriched because you cared about them. In this house, there are, are stories of many people who've encountered people who've, who've made this their church home. 
the friendship they built not only enriched their lives, but brought them into a relationship with God, and, and everything for them changed. 33 years ago, when I arrived, there was a, a, an amazing young guy who was serving in the youth department. And I asked him uh, a few months into, into my staying here, I said, tell me, how did, how did you get here? I knew that he didn't come from a Christian family. I knew that, that church had never been a part of, of his life. And so he told me that uh, he had been working in a restaurant and the youth from here had befriended him. They, after their young people's meeting on a Friday night, they'd go over there and they'd, they'd befriend him and they invited him and invited him and invited him until he came and he showed up and he got saved. And Rob Clark is now the pastor of one of the largest churches in Saskatoon as the children's pastor, they're doing an amazing job. It's because somebody made him their person, their person. And you can have that kind of influence. You can have that kind of impact. We've asked that everyone would invest your time, your talent, and your treasure in the mission of this house. We need you here. We need you serving, and we need you to carry and help share the load. It's very funny. Since I've asked this, we've had some about three of the poorest Sunday attendances that we've had. My mailbox is always full of people saying, Pastor, I know you've asked me for this, but this Sunday I have a wedding, or this Sunday I have to work, or this Sunday, you know, something's going on, okay? And, and, and we realize that, but just, just, I want you just to step back and realize the push that's coming against us not to move forward, not to do our mission, okay? I, I want you, I, it, it's not a coincidence, it's a push. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, just so you know, okay? And so um, it matters what we do here, and, and it makes a difference. And so we've asked that you would invest who you are and what you have here Sunday by Sunday. Last week, we asked people to find out what God would have them do financially. We talked a little bit about that already. And, and, and they would obey God's direction and would watch how God would reward them because God always rewards obedience. And, and we had an amazing offering and we had amazing participation. And what we do here doesn't happen by accident. It's on purpose. It's with a mission. It's, it's investing in our call. It's investing in our call. Last week, we went to the story that Jesus told uh, to help a young theologian figure out who his neighbor was. This, this bright, brilliant student stands up and he asks a question, and, and we're returning to that story this morning. You, you'll remember that the question was how, how to find, how do I find peace with God? How do I find the life that he promises? And Jesus asked the man to answer his own question. Listen, you're a scholar. You study the law of Moses. I want you to, to answer that. What do you see? What do you read? What do you understand? And uh, the, the man did. He, he, he says, I, and he quotes the, the scripture in verse, you're to love God with all of your heart, all of your strength, all of your mind, and love your neighbor just like you love yourself. And Jesus said to the man, that's the exact right answer. You've given the, the answer, the perfect answer to your own life and to your own question. It's scriptural. It's, it, it, it's exactly right. Now, go and take that understanding and live it out. Well, you see, the, the, the scholar didn't ask the question 
because he wanted an answer. He wanted to trap Jesus and, and get Jesus to say something and then have a debate and then have everybody in the crowd say, wow, is he ever smart, the scholar? Is he ever smart? And so we come to this. Jesus answered by telling a story. Oh, the, the, the scholar said, listen, uh, here's my question. Uh, who, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus answered by telling a story. There once was a man traveling from Jerusalem, verse 30, Luke chapter 10, traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on the way he was attacked by robbers, and they took his clothes, they beat him up, and went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road, but when he saw him, he angled across the other side. And then a Levite religious man showed up, and he also avoided the man. Here are two spiritual men, people who understood the ways of God, were well-versed in the mission that God had given to love God and to love people. They had memorized that same verse that the scholar had just quoted. And they come upon the tragedy of this man laying half, half dead, beaten, and, and bleeding on the side of the road. And rather than stop, rather than help a fellow countryman, they just avoided the need and they kept on going with their life and left the man injured and helpless on the side of the road. And we said last week that our business, our mission as followers of Jesus Christ were to serve, to help, to care for, to strengthen people. We're here in the people business. That's, that's our purpose. That's why we're here. We, we've looked at the comment that Jesus made about, about people that he was watching one day. And he, he, he just said to his, his disciples, listen, these folks are like sheep that have no shepherd. They're, they're vulnerable. They're, they're open to attack. They, they have no sense of, of the danger around them. They have no sense of direction or purpose. They're vulnerable. And find them, shepherd them, help them, Jesus said. And our purpose, our mission for being here on the planet at this moment in time is to love, to serve, to help, to shepherd people. That's why we're here. This morning, we're going to look at the cost of doing that kind of work. We're going to talk about how to best invest in people. So the man is lying by the side of the road. He's described as half dead. He's not able to call out for help, not able to pull himself up and move to a place of refuge or, or safety, but he's just on the road, helpless. One, and then two men come by, and they don't stop. They don't even check for a pulse. They just keep themselves, keep to themselves and keep on moving. The story takes on a twist because the hero of the story is a man whose ethnic background should have, have kept him out of the story altogether. He's a Samaritan, and, and, and he was not looked upon as an equal of, by the Jews of his day. He, he, was, he was less than in their eyes. There were man-made rules that said Jews didn't communicate with Samaritans, didn't associate, they didn't even extend their hands and shake hands with Samaritans. The Jews of Jesus' day, for the most part, saw the Samaritan as something to be avoided. And so the hero of the story becomes this Samaritan man. 
A Samaritan traveling the road came on, on him, the, the victim of the crime. And when he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. The first two men had no heart, no compassion, no empathy for the victim at all. He, d- despite the fact that they would have had Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6 memorized, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as you love yourself, they, they, didn't, they didn't do anything. They saw a man in need and they just avoided him. Despite having that instruction embedded in their heads, it wasn't attached to their hearts. And they did nothing about it. It was only information. It wasn't motivation. It wasn't a call. It wasn't a plan. It was only information. It was only something that someone long ago had said, and it didn't affect the way they lived their life. But this man, this Samaritan man, his heart was different. It's a heart that's like the heart of Jesus. It's It's moved with compassion every time, any time he sees someone in need. This man saw a bleeding, beaten man, unconscious by the side of the road, naked, and his heart said, I just can't leave him there. I I, I can't abandon him. I have to do something to help him out. Hear, Hear me, church. That doesn't happen by accident. You don't just go down the road whistling, uh, you know, one of the top 40 and, and see somebody and think, oh, wow, I've got to help. That doesn't happen by accident. It is the result of decisions that have occurred in the process of this man's maturing. It's the result of a man understanding that he has a purpose. He's here on a mission to help whoever comes across his path. It's an understanding that if you have something in your hand that needs to be shared, you share it. You let go of it. That if you can help someone, no matter who they are, you help always. The steps of the people who love and follow God are ordered of the Lord. He takes you places. He brings you across the path of people. He brings order and purpose to your day and to your life. The Samaritan man had conditioned his heart, had made room in his day, had trained his senses to look for and to be aware of need in the lives of people. When he saw the man's condition, his heart demanded that he be involved, that he be the solution to the man's situation. Does that make sense to you? I, I, I don't know. I, I need you to understand that I'm not preaching from a pulpit of perfection because there have been times where you know, I'm tired and I'm pulling out here and just out on 36 in a dangerous spot, there's somebody who's got a flat tire. I just think, oh, I don't really see him. I don't really see him. I'm drifting over there. You know, I don't really, oh, shoot. I, I, I know. We, we're, we're busy. We're tired. We're, we've got a million things. But 
we condition our heart to see people who have need. We make room in our day. We train our senses to look for and be aware of needs in the lives of people. We are on a mission. And it's not any mission. Our heart has to be trained to look with compassion and action on the needs of the people because that's the Father's business and we're part of Father's business. And so it says here in the scriptures, he gave the man first aid, disinfected and his, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. And then he lifted him onto his donkey and he led him to an inn and he made him, care, made him comfortable. Serving, serving people is so very practical. It's, it's not complex. It's, it's simply answering this question. What can I do that would help this person in this situation? Some of you who have been around for, for years will remember one of my good friends who attended here until he passed away, Stan Sage. Stan was so much fun, but he, he just had this great big heart in that skinny, tiny little body of his, and, and, and one day he came to me and he said, Bill, when you go to families to prepare funeral, to, to, to organize funeral, I want you to come and get me. And I said, oh, okay, why do you want to do that? He said, well, when you go, I'll just sit at their back doorstep and I'll polish shoes for the funeral. I, he said, I remember going to somebody's funeral and just looking down when we prayed and my shoes were a mess and I was so embarrassed. And he said, and as I'm polishing them, I'll just pray. I'll pray for whoever's feet are going to fill that shoe. It was one of the simplest things and yet was one of the most effective things. Serving people is practical. It's just answering this question, what can I do that would help the person in this situation? The, the, the Samaritan didn't get all spiritual on, on, on the victim and ask him questions. Hey, buddy, I don't, I don't know if you can hear me, but if you can, listen to me. It's it's not looking good for you right now, and you may just slip into eternity, and I want to know, do you know God? It, squeeze my hand twice if you can hear me and if you know God. He, he didn't do any of that. He, he was very practical. He administered first aid. He, he disinfected the cuts, and he bandaged the wounds, and he removed him from the danger zone and took him to the safety of an inn and made him as comfortable as he possibly could. Often I have people, when I talk about their ministry, what they do, they say, well, I'm disqualified because I have no formal training in theology like you do, Bill. And I most often say to them that they have an advantage in that over me. In that they are free to do and to be who they are without expectation that they're going to show up at a call or have the right word, say the right scripture, and do the right thing. They can just show up and ask that simple question, what needs to be done that's going to be helpful? 
what's going to be a gift. If, if, if you're a teacher, then, then God's going to bring you people who need the gift that you have and need you to share it. If you're a mechanic, then you're going to see people who could use your help because they don't have the money to, to do the repair. If, if you're beaten and lying on the ground outside somewhere, it's, it's better. You should pray. You should want Trent Snyder to come by you because he's a former uh, emergency medical responder to come to your aid rather than to have me show up with my Bible. It's going to be better for you if Trent comes. It's just that practical. But that wasn't all. It says, in the morning, the Samaritan took out two silver coins. And, and he's not talking about quarters, okay? He, he's talking about coins that represent two days' work wages. So if you get paid $50 a day, he had $100. If you get paid $200 a day, he had $400. He had two days' wages in his hand. And he goes to the front desk of the innkeeper and says, take good care of this man. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. This is one of the most amazing verses in Scripture to me. A, a stranger who takes responsibility for the care and the well-being of a man that he's never met, never had a conversation with, never been able to shake his hand. After taking time to give him first aid and after transporting him to a place of safety, after staying up all night and making sure that he was looked after, he goes to the keeper and arranges further care at his own expense. I'm going to be coming through this area on such and such a date. And if it's cost more than what I've left with you, I will pay you whatever it's cost you. That kind of care doesn't happen by accident. This man has decided to live his life in such a way, according to a plan, that makes people a priority. He, he doesn't buy everything that his money allows him to buy, he, because if there's an opportunity to help someone, he wants to, to do that, and he can't do it if his credit cards are maxed out. He's chosen to live that way, chosen to spend that way, chosen to to keep some back so he can share. He, he doesn't schedule every minute of the day with activities and things that are important to him because if he does, then when he comes across a person in need, he hasn't got time, he doesn't have the energy, he doesn't have the strength to help. He, he has chosen his life, chosen to live his life so that he can say no to things that are not important to his mission. Because if he does, then when he comes across people in need, he, he has the ability, he has the resource, he's got the time to say yes. He lives according to a plan, according to a mission. He spends his money with purpose. He spends his time with an eye to his calling. He adds skills to his life that are going to make him effective, and helpful to anybody who comes across his path. Now, please, please hear me. I'm not saying that you take some kind of vow where you don't spend anything on yourself and you never take a vacation. That, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we just hold back 
some so that we're, we're not spending it all on, on me, so that we have something to share, something to give. I want you to understand that I'm not preaching to a crowd that knows nothing about this. There are some amazing stories in this room right now, stories that have just happened in the last number of days or hours. A woman in this church was coming across from the 7-Eleven parking lot to come to a morning service just three or four weeks ago when she saw a car on 36th Street slow down, the door open, and a woman pushed out into the street. The woman had been abused by the driver. And the woman from our church went and helped her and brought her into the safety of the lounge here. And while you were all worshiping and unaware of what was going on, this lady was getting some very serious help. Police were called. On Friday morning, a young man who attended our youth group in years past and whose older sister would consider this her church home even though we don't see her regularly. The young man was killed in a car accident. And within hours, there were people who were connecting. There was a particular person in this room right now who connected with that family and is asking, how can we help? How can we support you in, mom in these most difficult moments of life? This week, there was a young person who is in crisis and life has become dark and desperate and, and there have been some, some very serious things that this young person has done. When, when professionals intervened and asked this young person who they wanted around them for support, the name that was given was a great family in our church who has been there and loved and served this young person all, all the way through. It, it happens, it's, and it doesn't happen by accident. There's an understanding that we're on mission. We have a purpose. There, there are families in this house who every week set money aside in a separate account, and that money is reserved for people who find themselves in need but have no resource. And these people can come and say, because we've set this aside, we just want to give this to you as a gift to help you. That happens here. That happens all the time. A, a, a visitor last week said to me that they had never encountered a church that was so overwhelmingly friendly and so passionate. I lost three buttons off my shirt just puffing up. <laughs> I just love when I hear good stuff about you. That didn't happen by accident. It's us living out our mission. It's us deciding that what we do here makes a difference. It's us deciding we're going to show up. We're going to do what we're supposed to do. We're going to share and carry the burden, the cost, the weight of what we do. We will give of who we are and of what we have to make sure that people who come our, across our path know something of our compassion. I, I think we can only understand that when we look at people who have invested in us. Just, just allow your mind to think of, of people who have been important to you. 
people who've made a difference in your life. I, I start going through, and I, my, my mind is, is full of them. I, I have my 60th birthday this year, and, I, and I've just been thinking, who are the legends in my life, the people who made a difference? And I, I go to a, a grade three teacher, Mrs. Sauter, who Belfast Elementary School, I'd, I'd had a disaster in grade two, and she just said to me on the first day of grade three, you're going to make it. We're going to do fine. It's going to be your best year ever. It was her mission. And, and in every one of our lives, there's been people that God has planted there. There have been people that, that have invested in us. And, and I, I need you to get this part of the story because it's very important. Every time someone has invested in you, someone has helped you, someone has spent time teaching you, healing you, praying for you, it has cost them something. You, you may not have been aware of the, the price tag that was attached, but, but it's cost them something. It might not feel like much to you as far as investment is concerned, but it has cost them something. And they've invested it because they felt you were important. You were worthwhile. It was you that they wanted to invest in. If I live to be 80 years old, and that seems like such a long time we, we were meeting with people, and, and they said, well, how long have we known each other? And, and, and I said, well, I think like 45 years. And I, and I stopped, and I thought I had an out-of-body experience. Thinking, you know, I used to think people who said things like that were dinosaurs, that, that they should just be put in a museum. 45 years. 80 years goes by really very quickly. But I want you to know that 80 80 years is, is less than 30,000 days. It's, it's 29,200 days. And if I live to be 80 years old, if I die on my 80th birthday, I only have 7,368 days left. And if I spend one of those days with you, if I sit and I meet with you, it's because I see value in you. I'm sharing the most precious resource I have, my time. I, I know how quickly 21,830 days have passed by, and I want to make sure that the 7,000-plus days I have left really count for something. So if I sit with you, it's because I see you as vital, as important. I see mission. I see purpose. I see promise in you. When someone prays for you in this church, they invest everything they have, everything they've learned, everything that, that they are, including their time and their resources, in making sure that you're covered and, and protected in prayer. I have people in this house who pray for me every day. And, 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 and when I think of that, I'm just overwhelmed by that, that, that they would spend time praying, investing in mission in me. And I, and I understand that it's a very costly gift that they're lavishing on me, and I can't allow that service, that sacrifice to be in vain. It, it affects what I do. It helps me say no to things that will not make me fit or competent to serve. Their, their gift to me has said that I am of value. It encourages me to step up and prove them right in their investment in me. 
And so if somebody invests in you, it's because they believe in you. They see value. They see worth. And when you take your life and you share it, you invest it in someone, you're saying, I see value in you. I say all that to make this clear. God saw so much potential, so much value and ability in you that he sent his one and his only son to give everything that he was, everything that he had to your life, to your purpose, to your meaning, to your mission. The only right, the only worthwhile response to such a gift is to stand up and say, I will spend my life, I will spend my life in the same way. Spend my days advancing the family business. Spending my days having compassion on people in need. So the story is told. Jesus has told the story. The, the plot twist has caught Everybody by surprise, the Samaritan being the hero, paying for the care and the recovery of a man who, who never might never know what he did or who he was. And the story ends, and I imagine that there's this pregnant silence that Jesus allows just to, to sit over the room so that the information that he's just shared not only sinks into his head, but into the heart of the scholar. And then Jesus says, what do you think? Which of the three became a neighbor to the man attacked by the thieves? And the religious scholar replied, the one who treated him kindly. Who was the neighbor in the story? It was the one who went to, to need. Who was the, the neighbor to the man in need? It was the one who showed up and was practical in his help and, and thorough in his sacrifice. The scholar answered correctly, well, the one who treated him kindly, the one who gave first aid, the one who moved him to safety and nursed him through the night and paid for the ongoing care for as long as it, it needed to happen. The Samaritan was his neighbor. He was smart enough to recognize that the importance of the illustration because it had changed him from being a scholar out to trap the, the rabbi, the teacher in a technical loophole of the law and he transformed him into a man that was questioning what would my response be if I was in such a situation? I know the law but will I obey? Will I carry out the mission of the law? Because now... He not only knew the law, he, he knew the expectation of God. He, he knew the heart that God had in writing the law. Again, a very full, expectant pause as the importance of the story sinks in. And then Jesus says, in, in a voice that's quieter but still full of authority, then, young man, I want you to go out and I want you to do the same thing. And he doesn't just say that to this scholar who was trying to trap him. He says it to me this morning. He says it to you. 
I want you to go out of this, this place, out these doors, into the world that is yours. And I want you to train your heart to be aware of need, to, to help where you can in very practical ways. C3 North, this is our mission. This is our purpose. This is who we are. This is what we do. We invest who we are and what we have in serving and helping and loving and launching people into their destiny. Jesus has commissioned you, has commissioned me. He stands here this morning and he says to me and to you, go and do the same things. Let your eyes see need. Let your, let your heart respond in compassion. Go do the same to the people who come across your path. Part of finding your person Part of the requirement that I've asked that you would find your part person is, is training you to recognize and to respond to need. Part of the importance of, of finding your person is having the training of knowing that sometimes you have to fight for them. Sometimes you have to contend for them. As, as a pastor of people, and, and that's what I'm training you to be as a pastor of people in your world. But, but as a pastor, I, I see some things in this story that make me envious of the Samaritan. The, the man that he was dealing with was alive but unconscious. I think, lucky, must be nice. I work with live ones. I, I work with ones who can bite and can scream and who can yell. The, the, the man he was dealing with was alive, but he was unconscious, not able to fight the help, not able to criticize the care, not able to say, I don't like the way you do this or that. Your breath stinks. You hurt me when you lifted me on the donkey. Why don't you spend the extra and get me an Uber? Like, he doesn't say any of that. He's just, eh. I want you to know that working with live, conscious, injured people can be, and usually is, dangerous work. We have a saying around here, hurting people hurt other people. And it's just a reminder that when you get bitten or when you get slapped or when you get criticized, don't take it too personally. They're just hurting. Just keep doing your business. Just keep loving. Just keep giving. Don't give up. Don't walk away. Don't throw your arms in the air and say, if that's how you're going to be, <clears throat> keep contending. Keep fighting. The commission doesn't say, go and do the same to people who appreciate and thank you and cooperate with you. Just go do the same. Love people where they are in the condition that you find them, no matter what it costs. Just like Jesus loved you, just like he loved me when I was a rebellious sinner, when I wanted my own way, when I demanded my own rights, Christ came and he loved me in my dangerous rebellion and loved me until I let go of those ways and said I would follow him. He contended for me. He, he fought for me. He stood beside me. He did not change his mind. He waited for me to change mine. I've prayed all week that you would hear these words this morning and not hear them out of my, my mouth or in my voice, but that you'd hear them in the, in the tone that Jesus gives to them. Go and do the same. That you would plan your life in such a way that there was room to do the same. That the things that aren't all that important in view of our mission would be pushed aside. And that you would focus on your call.
that you would develop your call, that you would spend time on your call. It's why I want to give you some homework for this week. I want you to take out a pen or a pencil so that you can write this down. I'm hoping to give you homework every week. I gave you a big thing a couple of weeks ago to pray about your offering. You did fabulous on that. I'm believing that you're going to do amazing on this as well. I, I, I want you to take and I want you to write down this, this verse. I want you to go home and I want you to wrestle with it. I want you to read it every day. I want you to think about it. I want, it, I want you to let it haunt you. I want, I want you to... Let it help you clean out the closet and shape the way that you live and that you think and that you work as we build this church to be all that it was meant to be this year. Are you ready for the verse? You're not going to thank me next Sunday, but maybe down the road you're going to thank me. Jesus speaking to me today, speaking to you today, comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 20. I'm reading it out of the Passion Translation. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 20. I want it to haunt you all week. Don't keep hoarding for yourselves earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves. Material wealth eventually rusts, decays, loses its value. Instead, stockpile heavenly treasures for yourselves that cannot be stolen and will never rust, decay, or lose their value. For your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. That's the line that's really going to haunt you. Your heart will always pursue what you value as treasure. God, where's, where's my treasure? What, what am I pursuing? This relaxation... Debbie and I look on Netflix. What's, a, what's that nursing one that we just finished? Call the Midwife. That's a great, great thing, and it's a nice, relaxing thing. But I, I just know Netflix can sort of be a drug of choice. You can get addicted to, to Netflix. And it can take up more room can distract you. And that's with anything. A little bit's good, but a whole lot more isn't better. Your heart will always pursue what you value as treasure. What will you invest? Where will you invest? Think about it. Alina, will you come to the keys? You are here on the planet by appointment by God. He's called you for such a time as this. You're here to make a difference. God has equipped you to save lives. I, I would love to... I'm going to phone Rob this week, and I want to find out who the person was who invited Rob Clark to come to this church. I, I, I just want to know that. Who, who was the one who contended for him? Because out of that... Out of that life has come so much good. God has equipped you to save life, to launch destinies, to bring hope. I want you to stand with me this morning.